Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the Rhino Cast Podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And balloons for the kiddies. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we talk with The Replacements' Tommy Stinson, along with producers Bob Mayer and Jason Jones, about the band's new box set, Dead Man's Pop. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Rich. What are you up to? I was about to ask you what you are up to. What do you think I've got on my laptop screen right now? Knowing you, it's rhino.com. You betcha. Why are you at rhino.com? Why? Tell us. Well, because it has got everything that anybody who listens to this podcast could want. It's the place to go. In fact, you're going to tell me what I should look for. One of my favorite things that you can do is sign up for the album of the day email. Rhino sends you a new album every day. It has a short essay laying out why you should listen to this album, why it's worth your time. There's links to listen on your favorite streaming platform. And then right there on that same page, there's all kinds of other albums of the day that you can check out. It's a great way to find something new to listen to. If you're like, I'm at the gym today. I need something new to listen to. What do I do? Bam, album of the day. Done deal. And then, of course, we have all the new releases coming up. It's fall. There are so many cool new releases coming out on Rhino and Rhino.com. All you rap fans out there, the Notorious B.I.G. Ready to Die 25th Anniversary 7-inch vinyl box set. It's limited edition. You got to go grab it before it disappears. How about all you rockers? We got the White Snake Slip of the Tongue Deluxe Edition, which includes, for a limited time only, the Donington Lithograph. You're going to want to grab that one. The Doors Soft Parade, 50th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. There's so much cool stuff coming. Speaking of cool stuff coming, Dennis, tell people who's on the podcast today. Okay, get ready, boys and girls. It's the one and only Tommy Stinson. This is the first of a two-parter on The Replacements. And I will just tell you a little clue that... My first question, his response to it involves a bodily part. (laughs) Well, you know, if you've seen any of the classic interviews that the guys did, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what they're going to throw at you. I can't wait to hear this conversation you have with him. But of course, the reason that Tommy is spending time with us on the Rhino podcast is because of the new replacements release, Dead Man's Pop. It's a four CD, one LP deluxe edition set. 
and it's based around the Don't Tell a Soul release. It ultimately, back when it was released, became the group's best-selling album, but they were unsatisfied with the sound of the record. They didn't really like the mixes. So what Dead Man's Pop does is they've gone back in and created a 4-CD, 1-LP set that remixes the album as the band originally intended it to sound. So all you Replacements fans, they're kind of like, ah, that record, I don't know, it's like, I didn't really dig it as much. You're going to dig it now because it's exactly the way the band wanted it to be. There's all kinds of unreleased tracks and a classic concert from 1989. Also on the podcast today are Bob Mayer, author of the Replacements biography Trouble Boys, and Jason Jones from Rhino A&R, co-producers of Dead Man's Pop. Tommy Stinson, welcome to the Rhino Podcast. Thank you. Well, what do you got so, for me? Tell me. What are you, what are you <laughs> thinking, Palio? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we're here to talk about that Dead Man's Pop box set with Who a Who came of up goodies. with the name of that, by the way? That was, that Bob Mary? I don't know. No, no, no. That Bob, was, did you come up with no, that? No, that was Paul's uh, original idea. That was the original album title it was supposed to be. In fact, it was reported as such back in Spin and a couple yeah. magazines in the day. Uh, wow. If you read that sort of shit. If you read that. <laughs> <laughs> the things you learn when you watch TV. But, you know, he also told, he told me, he, <laughs> you told me or he told me that there was other, a couple of different names for that. It was, at one point you were going to call it Festicle, which was Festival and Testicle. <laughs> but the other thing, <laughs> the, other, the other album name that, uh, that he told me was like, you guys were hanging with the Young Fresh Fellows a lot and you guys uh, like Tad in the band. Yeah. So you're going to call the album Tit for Tad. <laughs> oh jeez! Cooler heads prevailed, I guess. So. I could, I could tell I'm never going to get to any questions here. You're gonna Sorry. Get hey, that's you all get right, nothing. man. You get I don't stand a chance. <laughs> all right. So it was the end of the '80s. It was '88. So it wasn't quite the end, and you know, no idea what the '90s were going to bring us. Do you remember by any chance what you and the gang were thinking about going in to recording this record? Do you remember anything at all? <laughs> no, that was back in the 1900s. Um, no, no, no. I mean, you know, we, we were going to go make a record like we made uh, all the previous records. And the, the only differentiating bit was is that we started that record in Woodstock with Tony Berg. And yeah, we're going to get to Bearsville. That's, that's for sure. And, and what they did, which was... A, I think it was a good plan in someone's mind, um, but went south real quick. Was <laughs> putting the replacements in a, uh, in little huts in the middle of Woodstock and have us play in a, a dry county. Um, kind of wasn't <laughs> really conducive. Counterproductive. Yeah, and I think I think I think the obvious is kind of written on the wall there. But um, as I say this. Uh, it, I mean, when you're playing dodge knife, you know, in a in a, a in a cabin in Woodstock, New York, it's things tend to get a little screwed up quick, and um, 
As opposed to your other recording sessions. Exactly. Well, we're city boys, so well, you know, yeah. yes. putting us in the country, not so smart. Mm. I mean, up to that point, no. basically you'd done all the records in Minneapolis and then had gone and done Please to Meet Me in Memphis. So this was, I mean, Memphis at least was kind of it's a city. It's a city, right? Yeah. You, you know, Bob. There's some stuff going on there. Yeah, there, there, were, city. there were things going on there, and I've made two records in Memphis. We'll talk about that later, but... Um, <laughs> Um, yes. No. So, so I mean, it, it got pretty goofed up quick. Um, I think we lasted all of about three weeks. Not two even weeks. That. Not so even no, two. Not weeks, even not that. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Um, <laughs> Bob. Bob filling in the facts. Um, no, the, I mean, it, it was it was rough. And and if you really have any insight into the West Coast. And can call James Hetfield. He'll give you the the four one one on that completely because um, he likes to tell the story actually a little bit whenever he sees me. It's, it's kind of a funny bit. He's a good gent. I, I like him a whole lot. But uh, we were making the same. We were making record at the same time in that Woodstock Bearsville studio. We were making this one, and, and uh, I I don't remember which what name of the record that that uh, Metallica. They were the, they were making Injustice for All. That's what that was. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And they were totally freaked out by you guys. Yeah, a little bit. Kind of, <laughs> well, they saw us, you know, you know, throw gallon bottles of you know liquor through the windows of yeah, the studio yeah. and freak out in the uh, communal lodge where everyone kind of got together and had food and stuff like that. Um, it was funny watching him tell Axl Rose that story once. It was, <laughs> he was like, "This guy, this guy." This is said to be the album the band made and intended to release. So, you know, and the, the sound wasn't the way that you and Paul and, and the gang intended. So I'm just going to get right to it. Who got in the way and why? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> really? I got to answer, answer that one. Um, in your you're, own you're inimitable just, you're way. Gonna, you're going to go right for the balls, aren't you? Um, uh, yes, I am. Oh, right, yes, um, I am. Let me get my cup. Um, so, <laughs> so the idea was, I, I think, was just sort of, you know, we'd, we'd made some records and we got into this particular point in our career where it's like, now we got to have a radio smash at this point. This is, that was kind of the, I don't know, the, the, the narrative wells trying to, you know, test fate, as, as you will. I don't think it made a whole lot of sense to any of us because we just, we never could play the game. And so here's us, this record, when we made it, started with Tony Berg, which I didn't get. That was, that was, he ended up, he actually ended up making a great record with, you know, Ted Hawkins years later that I, that I really respected. But I think in general, you know, this was a record that we made like the other ones, but suddenly someone put it, and I think more in Paul's ear than mine or Chris's uh, or even Slim's, and it's like, this has to be the thing. So there's pressure and stuff like that. I don't really understand why that happened. Actually, now that I hear that, now that Bob has played me the mixes of <laughs> the, the Matt Wallace mixes, I'm like, why the hell did we ever go down this road? But 
You know, the Lord Algie brothers had the, 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 they sort of had the monopoly on the, on the radio at that point. Yep. And so that Indeed. was, that was, everyone's going, get them to do it. That they'll make, that'll be a hit. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was superfluous. I mean, it didn't need to happen. I mean, I think, I think uh, when you hear the, uh, the Matt Wallace mixes, and which were rough mixes at the get-go, those were more what we were about. Most of the records we made, I mean, they kept giving us budgets to make them. Warner Brothers did, anyway, and Sire or whatever. We still were our best. We made a record in, like, a couple of days, you know, right. and let alone spend a week or two weeks or spend a fucking month in fucking L.A. You do that, and you fucking... Screw the pooch a bit on that, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. This record, in a way, too, like the way the songs came together, were maybe different than any other record because I think in the interim. Um, Paul had gotten a, a a real like four track and a drum machine, and so the songs, maybe until you got to Bearsville, weren't as worked out as a band. He got a copy of Joshua Tree. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh boy! Wow! Hold on! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! No, but it's true because normally wow. uh, up to that point, you guys would have to at least like work up the song. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't the only kind of like band written song was Darlin' One. Yeah. Because that was kind of written during the Please yeah. Meet Me time period. Like, yeah. No, I think, I think, uh, and to, to be fair, to be fair, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, Paul's songwriting, you know, advanced and became more advanced as, as a, him as a songwriter to be um, succinct about this. Him being a songwriter, I think kind of, he be he came better as a songwriter than we became as a band in a lot of ways. And I bet, and I bet if, he were, if we're sitting right here right now, he'd probably say the same thing. <laughs> um, especially after that last comment I made. But um, but uh, <laughs> but really, I think I think that like you know, there's always been a bit of a, a rub with replacements a little bit. Um, we're always you know fun and you know did our thing and we had our bits and our whole you know our mystique or whatever you want to call it. I think the one thing that always sort of set us apart from a lot of other bands and stuff is that Paul had, Paul's a great songwriter. And and as a songwriter, I think he always, you know, was looking ahead. You could actually look, you could actually, you know, look up the small faces and, you know, uh, check out the same same thing with Steve Marriott. I mean, same, like he got kind of tired of the face, the small faces when he just felt like he wasn't, like they weren't, Keeping up the the where he was going with yeah. things, and I think that kind of happened with the replacements, and I think that kind of happened with this record in a way. I, I don't know that I think the songs are the pinnacle of our career. I think all shook down. I think the songs were that record, hands down to me, is like drop dead gorgeous kind of thing, and yeah. um, and this was leading up to that. Yeah. And so if you listen to the songs and think about where that's going. You know, Paul's got a you know a drum machine in his basement. You know, he's living in South Minneapolis with you know his wife at the time, and all this is going on. He's you know getting into the place of making that last record, which was, I think, my favorite. So.
well, actually, I want to jump in for a second. I think oh, that, I think that part of the reason why the kind of the Chris's kind of Chris Lord Algie's production was thrown on it was the way that Warner was kind of set up at the time, where Reprise was the alternative division, which you guys were kind of thrown into, and yep. they actually had a radio support system. So if you, they were going to try to push you guys to radio, then you kind of had to sit within what Reprise They've been pushing wanted. us since Tim. Well, yeah, no, I know, but it's Just like... They've been pushing hard enough, apparently. <laughs> oh! Well, yeah, but but Oof. I think that that was part of the reason why it kind of moved in the in the direction that it... That actually is, that is true, because it was right around that time that they reactivated Reprise, so yeah. they're like, we'll yeah. set up this, like, specific for these cutting-edge bands, but we still need to get them on the radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah Cutting so. edge bands. I mean, Sire had already had like the Pretenders, right. and you know, go down the the laundry list of bands that were on right. at Sire at that point. Like, I guess we were. I guess we were not quite as polished as Chrissy Hind. Because <laughs> the they hold you too close to the This band that we're talking about has a has a very interesting reputation with recording tape. And uh, you know where I'm going here. So we're all kind of sitting here because these Ampex 456s ended up in the right place. Would that be true? You know what? There's a whole lot of shenanigans with that whole story. But... Um yeah, that's where we're trying to go here. So tell me about the non-shenanigobbles. The, the non-shenanigobbles. Um, well, I have all the tapes on my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers doesn't actually have them anymore. Yeah, you have everything. I have them in my basement. Yeah. And they smell, True. They smell like uh, formaldehyde. <laughs> when I talked to Slim, though, he told me, uh, he, before I knew that he had stashed these tapes in his basement, he was telling the story of, like, the famous story in 87 where you guys, you know, took the, the tapes water. from Twin Tone and threw them in the river. And, and at the time, Slim said, that never made any sense to me. I was like, if you're going to steal them, at least just steal them and hide them in the basement. Of course, when he was telling me that, I didn't know that there were these he tapes had his like own a few tapes. feet yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. So, Slim's a... <laughs> Slim's wow. a smart man. Yeah. Yeah, he was smarter than the rest of us, <laughs> I suppose. You'll inherit the earth, but we don't want it. It's been ours since birth, and what you do around it. You'll inherit the earth, but we don't want it. Laying claim at birth, what you do around it. One Tom Waits, I have a question for you. Did you drink no. first and go to the studio, or did you go to the studio and drink first? You guys went well, to dinner first. I think you, you went to the Formosa. We, we went to the Formosa, and we had yeah. snacks. <laughs> snacks? And snacks. They might have been more like a, you know... More like a smoothie than actual hard <laughs> food object. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but um oh a smoothie. I don't like want, a margarita. I, you know, I'll be I'll be honest with you, I don't want to get too far into that either, because I'll tell you what, it was a sweet it was a very sweet moment in my memory about all of that. Um 
and Kathleen, his wife, was there and stuff, and she kind of sure. left. She kind of left him with us, and that's when thing, <laughs> that's when things got kind of interesting in a funny way. And you know, he had been kind of in and off for whatever I think at that time. And when she left, we we put on you know we put on the uh, the mai tais I should say, and um, <laughs> he was telling stories. He was hanging out with us. It was a great great moment and. Musically speaking, it took all of about a minute for Kathleen to leave and us to go back to the studio and just start putting in guitars and fucking around. And again, I have not heard my part in this scenario of replacements with Tom Waits. I do remember a whole a sermon about the, the you know the heathen will follow the lizard and this whole thing. <laughs> That's on date to church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty rare. Do you remember the, it was pretty remember the Billy Swan uh, cover, I Can Help? Yeah, there's a version of I Can you Help guys, with you, you guys. guys. You guys kept dropping into I Can Help. Everything you got me, you really think you real. Baby, let me tell you just about the way that I feel. I can help. I'm a man and I can help. Oh, baby, I got two strong arms. I can help. I hear that. Why? That, that and, uh, what is that? <laughs> hey, hey Lottie. You guys kept going into that, too. Hey. <laughs> Which is wonderful. And that's that did not make the box set because... Yeah. Uh, I think, no, but Low Down Monkey Blues Yeah, Low did. Down Monkey Blues does, yeah. Tired of and I'm falling down. I'm a mean monkey and I'm... Coming down, I'll be waiting. Waiting, baby, for you. Just a mean old monkey, I do anything you say I should do. We were lucky enough to meet some of our, you know, some of our favorite, you know, musicians and stuff like that along the way. Um, whether it's Keith Richards or Terry Reed or Tom Waits or whatever, we've been blessed with that, and that, that's a, that's a great thing. And and lucky, I mean, I sat next to David Bowie on a couch at the International Rock and Roll Awards ceremony they did one year. <laughs> he just <laughs> sincerely asked me questions about how you doing, how's the tour going, how you doing. And it was he was very sincere and it was like great. But all that stuff aside, um, the the Tom Waits session was was like. You know, meeting someone you've only heard of before, you had I had no idea what he what he even looked like, but I I I'd known, you know, Martha and 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 some of some of the songs that he'd written that, that I really loved a whole lot. And hanging out with them and he, and his whole Tom Waitness, it's like, <laughs> holy shit, man. This is a fucking heavy. And this is yeah. the guy. This is this is the guy. And and suddenly here we are with guitars on and we're just and hanging out playing it was like it was kind of a, a, a funny in my mind like I I remember the colors and the moment of that night I, I just I you know I almost wish to be honest with you that the that the audio of that would have been kept in a, in a vault because um, only for this one reason and I say this Bob sincerely is that um, it was so special to me right it was like one of those moments you know where like you're going like Man, this is you know. There's a, a fucking real heavy dude right there, and I'm sitting right next to him. We're playing guitars. We're 
yeah. goofing off and we're having laughs and you know we're all a bit in the cups and all that um it was great it's, and it's one of those things you kind of almost want to preserve and like keep to yourself in a way and that's all i'm saying well i ain't very good but i get practice by myself forgot my one line but i just said what i felt hey my if only was lonely there's some really special moments within there. Like I, I totally understand the the sincerity of it's a really special close to the chest yeah. kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. But within there, for me, just as Bob and myself listening to this material, one of the things that really struck me was whenever you guys are running through We Know the Night multiple, yeah. multiple times. And to hear Tom say to Paul and yourself, I really love that song. And I really love what you guys are doing. That was, for me as a fan... Yeah, it's pretty cool fly on the wall. That is a thing. total fly on the wall. You can... Yeah. That's worth the price of admission alone. We don't know the prime Indian red. Funny course. And we don't know the pain of a broken day. We don't know what's wrong. The thing that's different about this record too is, you know, you did Please to Meet Me as a three piece, and this is the first record with Slim. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, obviously, you know, the first half of the band was you guys and your brother, and then you did this kind of one record, Please to Meet Me, just sort of as a trio, and then Slim kind of came in. And, and when you listen to, like, just listening in the car, you were saying, oh, like, I can't it was Darling One or whatever. There's Slim had a kind of distinct thing that was, you know, different. So he did. So, so, so what Slim brought to the, to the table, which was funny in a particular way, so my brother was more of a, a a rough and tumble guitar player. He could just rip the balls off that thing, and and, and was great at it. And Slim was more of a melodic kind of guy, and he also made his own pedals, his own you know chorus pedals and things like this, right? And so he got he like Paul gave him a lot of you know, like you know space to just try and you know you know, put himself in in the mix here, and, and to so to speak. But also, I think I think Paul pre- appreciated and respected Slim a whole lot in a in a way that as a guitar player and a songwriter and stuff. Where I think that all came into play on this record, and that's where you get kind of the the right. kind of the you can you can in my in my world you can feel this record coming together in a way, and and I hate to say it. Leading up to all shut down. Uh, this is this is like the <laughs> stepping stone to that. Right. I'm sorry. Banished forever from your sacred nest on your snow white breast. I feel there's still unrest. I said, Hey, darling one, your time is coming. It 
it's cool to hear him play because he 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 kind of changes just the sort of dimensions of the band just because he plays you know he's playing with a thumb pick he like does his own electronics it's like the whole atmospherics of the way yeah. Slim played yeah, yeah. like kind of and totally. Slim and Paul played differently than Paul and Bob played you know off each other so it's like a kind of I don't know it just changes sort of what the the sound is like too and maybe that's part of why the record sounds different you know the last oh, totally two. totally totally and 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 there's another part to that too it's that um. Yeah, there's there's a there's a sort of respect for Slim that I think Paul had, um, in his and uh, Slim's way. I mean, there's I mean, it, Slim took a beating, mind you, <laughs> playing with us, um, but uh, but Paul, I think Paul really respected his guitar playing abilities and his melodic abilities and things like that. And I think those were important. I think um, completely important. And I think that. Uh, they can't be understated. And this record, I think this record, this is when they're put to the test a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. He, Paul always said it was like when Slim joined the band, it would have been like, instead of like, if the Stones got Mick Taylor, as if they would have got like Carl Perkins. <laughs> 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 you know, in 1969. Yeah. It's like, because he was, he was like 10 years older than you guys. Yeah. Or older, even older than that than you. And it's sort of like just the whole different kind of vibe but that's why I think the last couple records sound you know that's different. pretty accurate mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's astute of him tell you questions tell you questions Couple of covers: Goodbye to Jane, Born to Lose, Heartbreakers, Slade. A really good rock band doesn't become a cover band. They take it and they make it their own, and that's what I hear in this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we were we were all you know kids of the seventies and and the glam rock and all that stuff. All of us, even though I'm even though that I'm I'm seven years younger than my brother and Paul, we were all about that. There's no mistaking that, like you know, our, our roots are pretty well healed and all that so the one thing that Warner Brothers Rhino hasn't put out and I hope to God doesn't get put out again <laughs> uh, I'll tell you right now is oh, when this geez. shit hits the fans yeah, no. oh, so no. No, no, that no. that is all about us being kids of the 70s and hearing a song knowing a song in the back of our head and knowing kind of roughly where to play it <laughs> without really knowing like the chord charts <laughs> <laughs> Which I just got asked for. <laughs> Do you have the chord charts for, yeah, for a three chord song? Um, I, I can't even go down this road right now. But but you know we you know you know kids of the seventies that like 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 the glam rock stuff, sweet and all that stuff. Uh, we were, it, it was a whole thing, and we could shit it's the fans. Please don't put that fucker <laughs> out. But um, that is that's that's the culmination of. Where we come from, basically. Well, goodbye to Jane, goodbye to Jane. She's a boots, get your fences, no care. Goodbye to Jane, goodbye to Jane. Did you boo when you cool, but I care. She's a queen, see what I mean, she's a queen. See what I mean, she's a queen. And 
I think even like going back to like the common ground way back when, when the band was starting for Paul and Bob, like they had different tastes in a lot of ways, but where they kind of met was Slade and Sweet and that kind of era of stuff. So it was like kind of the, was like the foundation of of the band. (laughs) Yeah. And then you got Chris Mars bringing in the Sex Pistols when Paul kind of joined the band and stuff as well. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of back history that's in your book, but that, you might. I didn't tell you about it. And, and that other thing. <laughs> um, the, the, yeah. But th- there's a lot of synergy that happens in all that, that that is part of the how we became a band and stuff like that. And, mm. and it's important. It's important and it's great. And the book totally, you know, kind of captures most of that. Unless you were in the room. You know, and so my brother showed me how to fucking play Roundabout, the second song I ever learned how to play on bass, mind you. No try. shit, seriously? Hello, kids, try to learn that one <laughs> as your second oh fucking song on the fucking <laughs> bass. Try that one. Give it a shot, <laughs> will you? There are two discs of the complete Milwaukee live show. Do you remember it for any reason? No. It, it was actually right after the International Rock Awards. It was yeah. like maybe two days after. So it was a show you no. did. Because yeah. you, guys, you guys are totally ripping on it. <laughs> during the Yeah. Show. You guys are totally ripping I mean, it's on quite it. the show. I think you actually say, did you see that fucking TV shitty TV you know, show we were on? I don't remember that, that why you're day, here? but I hope the check's in the fucking <laughs> <day>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing about that show that I that I captured when I was listening to it way too loud. On Here Comes a Regular, you actually hear the audience singing along. So do you ever think about how reverent the 203,000 fans you've got on that F-book thing are? I mean, not bad for an indie band. And you're talking to someone who who loves that song a whole lot. So um, yes, it's very important to me. There's a whole, there's a lot of songs that we've done that yeah, you're gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and fucking get my boohoo on right now. But um, there are a lot of songs I've always admired. Paul, I've always, I've always looked up to him as a brother in a way, and and all that. But um, there are songs that are pretty fucking heavy that are truly heavy songs, and that's one of them. Yeah. And uh, and and you have to, you know, in, in my position, you have to think about the content and where they come from and, and what that's about and where that's, you know, where that sits and resonates, you know. And uh, uh, some more people should hear that song. Things we were listening, kind of like we were talking heavy songs. It was like rock and roll ghosts. We were listening to the, yeah. the mix Ooh. of that, and it's mm-hmm. like that's like a, yep. that's the thing about I think why the band like works on a lot of levels is like you could do the covers, punk covers, but you could also 
do Here Comes a Regular and Rock and Roll Ghost or whatever, and it was like this, you know. Well, we were, you know, for the, for all practical purposes, we were kind of a bipolar band. You <laughs> go, we could go from fucking full on, you know, thrown out there to like, okay, pull it back and then ha- capture a moment. I mean, there's a, a, I'll tell you a weird story, a little quick little anecdote. I'll keep it short, <laughs> short. There was a time we were, we were opening it for Tom Petty, and I can't remember what city it was when we did Whipping Post. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And Paul sang the balls off of it. It was, it was, it was ripping, and we just won it. We just, you know, we just won it. And it, was, it was fucking fantastic. It was, I just remember walking away going, we actually just played that fucking song? <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, he just was going, he was going for it, and his fucking voice was like, ripping on it it was like tied to the ripping part it's a whole thing it's like it was it was great those are the things that I always loved about my band The Replacements we don't know we go there's no one here to raise a toast I look into the mirror and I see a rock and roll ghost the band is genre proof i mean people when you talk about the mats people are like well what kind of band were they and i'm like they were a rock and roll band so i mean what do you do when people try to figure it out tell them to fuck off (laughs) (laughs) yeah for real what else you gonna do i mean Make up a new genre of like, well, no, we're not rock and roll. We're not America fucking roll. We're not Americana fucking rock and roll. We're not <laughs> indie disco <or> <laughs> fucking rock and roll. You can't make up a new, you know, a new the, idea for what it is. It's, we're just we're, what we were. Whenever I would describe the replacements to any inquiring minds who wanted to know, I would say they were rippers. <laughs> they either want to rip your face That's off a good or, one. Or, or rip your heart out. <laughs> And I feel like that's pretty succinct. You just don't want to do that with people that have guitars in their hands because <laughs> yeah. they're heavy and they can actually bust your head open. <laughs> that's the problem with that. It's too late to turn back. Here we go. to be should it have been a bigger hit was radio ready for it at the time no <laughs> no radio was not ready for a fucking sensitive pretty song this you know sort of a mid-tempo kind of fucking vibe no not at all great song Number 51 on the Billboard Hot 100, I'll Be You. Closest thing to a hit for the band? Yeah, think about the lyrics on that one. 
think about the melody and the, and the, and, and the whole thing. Oh, that it's was, got hooks for days. Hooks, hooks for, for days. fucking days. Hooks for days. Look at yes, what was also my point. Look at what was being spun at that same time on you know yep. the fucking Billboard Top 100. Just saying. <laughs> and I can purge my soul perhaps for the imminent collapse. Oh yeah, I'll tell you what we could do. You be me for a while, I'll be you. When you listen to this whole thing, you're gonna say, like I did, wow, we were pretty good. We were decent. What do you, what what does this all add up to? Because this is a repurposed. This is the record that supposedly, you know, tapes are stolen, and there's all this stuff here. I mean, there's sixty friggin' tracks. That's a also lot of also uh, you, you wait, wait till the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, more than decent, fucking amazing. Bob Mary, you're still on the hook, fuck. <laughs> next one. <laughs> I tell you what, to be really honest and and frank about this stuff, I I respect my 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 legacy. Um, I've got a 29-year-old daughter that that, um, that that wants to, and she's a great singer, great songwriter, and a whole other genre, a whole other. She's a millennial, and all that. And and so, I have to step back a little bit from this stuff a little bit, and and let her know I'm I'm maybe one in a million, maybe one in five million. That's been as lucky as I've been to have done this. I we we. Whether you're ever going to hear that from fucking Paul or my my brother's dad, you know, rest in soul, but um, or Chris Mars, the reality is we've been lucky enough to have been here and done this, and we did a thing, and and I, and I'll take it a step further. Minneapolis was a particular thing back then that was a scene that I have never seen before or after, and I lived in L.A. you know from '93 on for. Till 2008, it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. It means a lot to me, and I respect it completely and whole, wholly. And I would just I would just hope that that the kids that want to you know learn how to play music and stuff like that, they they would check out that moment in time, kind of like the hardcore moment in time in L.A. where there was X and Black Flag and all those. That was a moment in time as well. We were around in that scene when we started and we we've just been lucky enough to have done all that we've done and while we're talking about this goddamn record right now and You're just and, appre- and appreciating it and I tell you what I appreciate my legacy like nobody in the band you got Chris Chris does his thing Paul does his thing anytime I got an interview with someone or I got to talk to someone I'm going to tell you right out right out the gate I appreciate and respect where I came from well, we don't want it, want it, want it Laying claim at birth When the wind drops, we're helping your tongue dying on it You inherit the earth But well, we don't want it, want it, want it What will it be worth When you're still on it, on it, on it well, all you Replacements fans are definitely going to want to check out Dead Man's Pop. It's the 4-CD, 1-LP deluxe edition set. It is out now. 
If you get one of the earlier versions, there's a cassette release that's included with it. Very cool stuff from the replacements. And all of you fans who are disappointed with the way that Don't Tell a Soul sounded when it originally came out, you're going to love it now. It's the way the band originally intended the album to sound. Tack on all the bonus material and the live show and you can't lose. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Executive producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Pop Cult and Rich Mahan Promotions. All rights reserved.